Hey everyone, welcome to World's OKS Entrepreneur, the podcast for the OK entrepreneur who doesn't have an MBA and is kind of figuring it out as they go. Today on the podcast, we welcome Sarah Mo of Sleep Health Specialists. And wow, my mind is blown. She was kind of our first expert and entrepreneur on the podcast. And it truly is one of the most enlightening conversations I feel like we've had on the podcast. Oh, definitely. And that little tidbit at the end, that little Easter egg that she gave us was so eye-opening. Oh yeah. I mean, I think my whole life has completely changed for the better. Right. And I'm not sure, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we have to have a couple conversations with people, but I know I'm going to be sleeping so much better from here on out. Totally. All right. And now on to the show. Team Lift. We have our zones like everybody. How big is your team actually? Is it just you or? Just me now. Prior to COVID, I had a four. Oh, man. Uh-huh. I know COVID, like COVID really did a lot for small businesses. And, and yeah. Did you try to like stick it out for a bit or you were just like instantly like, because I guess, yeah, nobody was in person. So the week of March 2020, I had, it, it was my biggest year. I had engagements lined up all through December, huge corporations, huge companies, traveling, everything. And the, that week that everybody was locked down, I got phone call after phone call after email after email of everybody just canceling. It was absolutely crushing. I just cried for like a week. That's my whole life. That's my whole passion, my business, my, you know, my yeah. income. But then ironically, once we figured out Zoom life, I had access to the entire world. I had people emailing me from literally countries I had never heard of and had to Google. One company was a marketing firm in Estonia. I was like, "Um, is this Princess Diaries? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I know. I was like, how did you hear about me? And the guy was like, we just Googled, we have tired employees. Yeah. I mean, and that's like very tired employees. And I mean, and so that's like, I mean, I feel like that's like the story of so many businesses during that time of COVID is like your entire business is wiped out. And then it rebuilds in a completely different way than you ever had thought. Absolutely. Has it? now continued in a completely different way than you've ever thought or? Yes. And now that we're back in person, I'm mad all the time. I'm like, oh, pants, fancy shoes. No, how did I ever do this before? Which is ironic because a part of my professional persona that I attempted to grow being a, you know, a very naive little business owner was that, look, when I was teaching at Minneapolis College, I taught the sleep medicine program there for years. And my students would come in at the beginning of the semester And they would wait. I would be in front of the classroom, in front of the podium, and they would be waiting for the professor to show up. And every year somebody would say, I'd say, you're welcome. We're going to start class. This is Sleep 101. And they'd say, is the teacher? Nope. Nope. It's me. So I thought it's something about me. I don't look professional enough. I don't look old enough, whatever it is. So I went with the pencil skirts and the heels and that whole higher education look. And that was very much um, an important thing for me for years when I came to being a, a young entrepreneur. So yes, that pivot through not even working from home or uh, you know doing the Zoom classes where you only have to be fancy from the chest up, it, it really <laughs> it really made me more comfortable as well because it's just more me. And I realized, you know, uh, that whole dressing up was not it uh, just wasn't me. So do you dress down now? I intentionally wear comfort. I've done classes in pajamas. Yeah. Nice. It's on brand. Yeah. Seriously. That's hilarious. I mean, I think that's the thing is like, I mean, that's the beauty of when you own your own business is you get to say like, I'm going to do it this way, actually, because 
the other way that society has said, like very much so I understand you as like a former teacher myself, they're like, you need to look like this. And you're like, if all of my content and what I'm putting out is as good as in the classroom or whatever, like what does it matter at the end of the day? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I love that you've come in pajamas. So basically you started your company in what year? 2015. Okay, 2015. So the 2015 up to the pandemic, you'd been crafting your business this way. Mm-hmm. And then did you feel like there was your pandemic business and then now coming out of the pandemic do you feel like you're starting a new business again because i feel like i've had this similar feeling yeah i actually think it's a pretty interesting combination of the two times that time prior to covid i was doing a lot of important work with in person with large corporations with uh, making it very professional but fun my sleep classes were this really interesting combo once we moved into covid and the concept of wellness became so much more important it wasn't just that people were tired it was that We actually have to care about our workforce in a way that we never have before because it's now literally life and death. Now, every day we are worried about our wellness, not in a way of, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds this New Year's or no, it's the well-being of your body is now in question daily from this virus. So with that mindset shift became almost, I don't want to say a cooler workforce, but a much more relaxed but focused on employee well-being. So I'd like to think I took a little bit of the professionalism and the importance of sleep from prior to COVID to, all right, we're all in this together. Let's survive. Here's how we can do it, you know, in a fatigue realm uh, and made a, a little combination coming out of the back end. So the companies that I work with now are always just fun. They're the ones who have said, all right, we know that this is an offering that we need to give our employees. Uh, the conferences that I speak at are are Just they vary from safety conferences to menopause conferences to anything that could involve fatigue. And it's just, yeah, it's been it's been pretty fun. Nice. So very much so like what is the blend of how you like generate revenue within your business? Because it sounds like you're very much like multifaceted. I began with hunting for lists of best places to work. So 2015, I was still teaching at Minneapolis College. So smart. Thank you. I, th- I thought about it. I was like, who needs this the most? Because when I tell people I work in sleep medicine, they are always like, really? That's a thing? And I'm like, yep, this is my degree is in polysomnography. And then like questions. Okay, I have a question. Okay, my husband does this. All right, do I have to worry if my daughter... All I could think was nobody knows anything about sleep. I obviously have chosen to specialize in this field. I'm pretty rare. There's not a lot of us who work in sleep medicine. So after realizing this lack of education was so widespread, and I thought, I want to do this. I would love to do this for a living. Instead of just walking down the street and having people ask me sleep questions, I can teach people about this, not at the college. So I just kind of thought, who are the people who ask me the most questions? And it was always somebody who associated their fatigue with work. And I have to get up at this time. But And by the time I get home from work, and oh, in the middle of the day, I want to sleep at work. So... I just thought the best places to work are the companies that are going to bring me in and have me work with their employees because they're the ones who care about their teams. So that's how I started, was just cold calling those companies in all of the the Midwestern states. Uh, But once I started to uh, get a little bit busier, I won a few random awards, which I always accredit to the the weirdness of my job. Uh I'm not going to say I'm the best sleep expert in the world, but I think, again, there are not a lot of us, and I don't think a lot of us make it very fun. A lot of the medical professionals in the sleep field will literally put you to sleep when they talk about it. (laughs) So just that combination kind of got me some recognition. And once 
I got a little bit busier, it just snowballed. It really was word of mouth for me where people would say, oh, we had this really great speaker come in for a lunch and learn. And, you know, HR representatives would talk to their HR friends. And I always just get emails, hey, I heard from such and such. Are, are you free this date to come in? I just, it just exploded. It was really validating and fun. So I know when I started my company, I put sleep on the back burner. So when you were starting your company, did your sleep suffer? It did. It, it did. And I always joke, I'm a very hypocritical sleep expert. That's so funny. And that's okay because I don't think that it's an all or nothing thing. When we talk about improving our sleep, it took us a long time to get to a bad place. We learned a lot of bad habits over time. It's going to take a long time to unlearn that. It's really just kind of paying more attention to it and having the good nights when you can. But I had my son around the time I started my company. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a little newborn crawling around at home and starting from working at home and trying to create this business, it was definitely a very, very tired time for me. Um, but at the same time, exciting. It was, I found myself always really looking forward to doing the work. So the nights that were sleepless were okay. Side note, little sleep medicine fact, women who reproduce have worse sleep for the rest of their lives because we have hormones that are secreted to check on the breathing of our offspring. So once you have a baby, you're like, is it awake? Is it alive? It's a very uh, instinctual hormonal thing. And does it come back? I like, I'm very much like you just tapped on something that I, I didn't put the question down, but you started it. So I'm going to just ask it now, which was like what you just said, I identify with so much. There is something inside of me at like 3, 4 a.m. where I'm just like, so do you also have this? Is this just like a mom thing? Because it is. It's like, is are my babies okay? It's a mom thing uh, for those of us who have reproduced and, and grown our offspring. Uh, that being said, it's a very frustrating hormone because it does not ever completely dissipate. If your kids are off to college, you will still wake up in the middle of the night for no reason. It does lessen with more children. If you, you know, if you have a second child, you know, if your first one yeah. survived, the likelihood of the second one being okay increases. So uh, we get a little better at it. But this is another part of the reason there's a lot of disconnect within heterosexual partnerships when it comes to waking up for the baby. Everyone. So am I going to have any relief when I go through like, I mean, like the stages of like perimenopause and menopause? Like, is there any sweet, sweet relief for me or fuck no, like I'm just screwed? Yeah, you're going to, it's going to get worse. Yeah, because my mother-in-law now, she's caring for my, my sister-in-law's children during the day. And it seems like her sleep has begun to suffer. It's like, I wonder if basically that hormone is kicked back in, even though she's gone through menopause. Oh yeah, we're so fascinating. Our human brains and what we're capable of, uh, all the defense mechanisms to keep us and again, our tribes, our offspring, everybody alive. I'm sure it's kicked back in, which stinks for her. Uh, but also menopause is an absolute beast that we still know very little about. 90% of women report worse sleep starting at perimenopause all the way through postmenopause. And 60% will report actual sleepless nights, nights of, of no sleep. It is a really, really tough time. And as far as sleep medicine goes, being as young as it is, we just have not researched this. Not to mention a lot of medical research is based towards the, the male body. So the questions that we have are only now starting to get answered. I always joke that we just figured out sleep apnea. Hopefully menopause gets all of the funding next. So like, what do you tell, like, so you go into these businesses and very much so like you have somebody that is like, maybe they just had children and or they are now going through menopause. Like, what do you tell them like to do? So it depends. A lot of the people who are suffering are suffering because of poor sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene is the habits surrounding sleep, things that we are doing during the day that could negatively impact our sleep. Uh, conversely, bad sleep can negatively impact our day. So that disconnect that most of us have, I kind of start there. Your night and day are not separate. They are completely connected. 
what you do all throughout the day matters for your sleep. So those people who really are suffering, we look at the habits, we look at the simple things that are going to be the most impactful for the majority of human beings. Things like caffeine intake, alcohol intake, blue lights, and all of the things that we're really kind of diving more into since COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, alcohol sales increased 250% in every state through the pandemic. Uh, People are using this as a coping mechanism, which is fine, which is understandable. You know, alcohol is a depressant, it's a sedative, it's going to help you fall asleep, but it negatively impacts the quality of your sleep. So we just go through things like that, kind of learn the stages of sleep, what happens in each one, why they're important, why it does matter if you don't go back to sleep at three o'clock, how you're missing out on all the consolidated REM in the morning, focusing on habits. Now, that being said, if we work with people and a few weeks later, they're like, you know what? I've done everything you said. I'm getting eight hours every night. I don't drink alcohol or caffeine no blue lights, all of this. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I'm still tired all the time. There's probably a sleep disorder that's present. Yeah. How do you define a sleep disorder then? Like, and is it something that just crops up or is it something still that we maybe just don't know what the the cause is? Yeah. So there are over 115 classified sleep disorders. So we can find What's the cause. smallest. <laughs> There's probably 250 that we don't know about exactly, yet. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, but most people are born with this sleep disorder. It can start to develop more. It can start to progress. It can start to present at certain times of stress. Um, That being said, with the very number one, the most common sleep disorder, which is sleep apnea, when we stop breathing at night, you're not necessarily born with that. That is something that as we age can become more and more prevalent to the point where literally one night your tissues might collapse enough to stop you from breathing. And now you're 34 years old with a sleep disorder and you suffer every day from being as excessively tired as a human being can stand. We sadly adapt quickly to fatigue and people just power on without ever thinking, maybe I have a sleep disorder that I could treat and feel better. And doesn't it cause, isn't it cyclical then? Once you have that sleep disorder, it causes, it's, it's like a spiraling effect, like one feeds the other. Yeah. So having an untreated sleep disorder leads to initially what we call EDS or excessive daytime sleepiness. And that's what people have adapted to. So that's where the cycle starts is, okay, I'm tired, but I'm supposed to be. I have a job. I've got kids. I've got a life. Of course, I'm tired. I have all of these things I need to do. So it doesn't really occur to you that the quality of your sleep, even if you get, you know, six, seven hours a night and everybody's saying, oh, I can get by on less than I need. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those six, seven hours that you're using to get by are not accomplishing what they're supposed to. So now we have the cycle of of EDS that doesn't actually get addressed until somebody like me walks into your lunch and learn and says, actually, that's a sign and symptom of a major sleep disorder and you can have it treated. So kind of going back, I mean, I think very much so for our audience, like it wasn't even really until I started preparing for this podcast that I started understanding, like, because you have a very interesting story that you had on one podcast where you very much so were, you were being like, it was your server and you were like, oh, he has sleep apnea and very much so your partner at the time was like, do not say anything like, is that something like you can just walk down the street and you're like, I know what you got going on there. Like, and can you tell our audience exactly what sleep apnea is and what is happening in your body at that time? Yeah. So sleep apnea, again, when we stop breathing at night is caused by an obstruction. So the main sleep apnea is called obstructive sleep apnea. Somewhere from your nasal passages down to your throat, somewhere in that area, there's tissues that collapse and stop you from breathing. And then your body will start fighting for breath. Your diaphragm will push, your lungs will push back. They're trying to do that pop open of the airway. Most times it doesn't work. Most times it's our brain that finally sends a signal that says, breathe dummy, 
and then you will wake up and take that breath. That's terrifying. Can we just just like say like that's your sleep? So here's one thing I will say. During apnea, you you don't die of the apnea. You don't just stop breathing one night and then never start again. <laughs> your brain sends that signal to breathe. This is why people are able to drown. You will eventually take that breath. Okay. So apnea causes a lot of physiological damage from obviously not getting oxygen, but from our heart then attempting to compensate for not ingesting oxygen, having to circulate the already oxygenated blood, all of our symptoms, every single one of our cells need that oxygen every night to regenerate and to operate properly. So it sets off this whole dynamic of now we're not going to work properly. And this kind of shortens the life of all of our organs and cellular structures. Now, it is terrifying, but we can treat it. And our bodies are super, super adaptable to treatment. So when we think about smokers who have smoked for years and then how we see the science of their lungs repairing after two days of not taking in smoke, we're seeing a lot of that with people who are getting treated for sleep apnea. The heart repair, uh, the lung function, the respiratory ability, all the things that start to immediately get better uh, once that blockage is is removed. Is there something that, so if somebody's listening right now and they're kind of like have a spidey sense of their like, yeah. maybe I do, is, is like what, what should be like their first steps if you're like, because is sleep apnea first like the most common? It of is. The, okay. Yes. It's also estimated that 20% of Americans are walking Whoa. around with undiagnosed severe sleep apnea, severe being stopping breathing 30 times or more 20%? per hour. 20%? Yes. Also, 25% of the American population dies of heart-related disease. That is mm. not a coincidence. Right, because your heart is working so hard if you have sleep apnea. Yeah. So the signs and symptoms, again, this sounds really, really scary, but it's just, it's really common. It's just about We're tissues. just doing this to care about you guys. Like, exactly. We really want yeah. To, yeah. It's yeah. not scare tactics. This is just, hey, be aware, especially yeah. if you've got, not just for yourself, but a household of people with statistics you know, large households, you're going to have people, plus it's familial. So if you've got a father oh. or siblings who have sleep apnea, you are more likely to have it. It's not genetic. It's not passed down in genes. But the same way we're structured similarly to our family members, think of how we resemble our brothers and sisters. Internally, we have similar structures as well. So if somebody's got a tiny little airway, probably most of you do. So yes, yeah, signs and symptoms. Unfortunately, there is a stigma attached to sleep apnea. Like you have to be an old fat guy to have it. And that is not <laughs> true. Absolutely anybody can have sleep apnea. So we're talking about that EDS, that excessive daytime sleepiness, snoring. We all know that person who snores so loud you can't take them camping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Waking up with a, a racing heartbeat as well as tossing and turning. If you have a flipper or flapper in your family who tosses and turns all night, that could be what we call positional therapy. It's their body's way of attempting to move those tissues off of the airway, as well as morning headaches or migraines. Because every time we don't take in oxygen, we're also not expelling CO2 that can cause those things. So all of those are just signs and symptoms. If you're just like tired all the time and you wake up and you're like, <sighs> like oh, okay, maybe that sounds like it could be me. You probably have at least a mild case of sleep apnea. Huh. I'm just like literally like I think my head is right now like I'm just processing 8,000 friends right now. And I'm like, I have, I have some conversations to have with people right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, oh, maybe this is what's going on with them. <laughs> yeah. So and on that the other thing that you mentioned just a little bit ago that I think I mean, everybody has and especially like going into the holiday season. You had mentioned alcohol, but there's one thing that is so new, especially in the state that we live in right now, which is CBD and THC. How does that affect you? Like, because I, I think it's interesting, like my partner just very much so went through like a dry month, but he just literally substituted alcohol for like THC drinks. Yep, and yep. I was like, is this really better? Like, I know everybody says no. We're like, oh, I fall asleep so much better now. I'm just going to have a CBD drink and I'm just going to go to La La Land. But what's actually happening? What is going on, Sarah? 
Uh, so I love that you brought up the stressful times, the holiday times here in Minnesota. They actually just did a report that showed that the last week of July was when we started to increase our stress. And then it peaks on December 25th, which is the most stressful day of the year, according to 70% of Americans. Out. And then our stress levels drop to an all-time low for that week before we get to enter a new year. So we're in the thick of it right now. We are slowly building towards the most stressful time of year. And stress, worry, anxiety, all of these things negatively impact our sleep. Now, alcohol stops us from going into deep sleep, stage three, REM, these restorative, restful stages of sleep. But what we're seeing now, not even just with the legalization uh, in all the different states, but with THC drinks or CBD oil, it almost sounded like a snake oil for a few years, the same way they yeah. marketed melatonin. Like, oh, melatonin is a super wonder, all natural thing that you could take to help fall asleep, which it's not, first of all. But with CBD, it is very helpful for a lot of people to initiate sleep because we actually have what's called endocannabinoids receptors in our hypothalamus. And these systems regulate sleeping, uh, our hunger cycles, our pain receptors. All of these are included in cannabinoids. And when we take external cannabinoids or CBD oil, uh, it is able to go onto those endocannabinoid receptors and regulate. So if you're deficient in these things, where your sleep-wake cycles might be deregulated from just this minor deficiency, supplementing with CBD oil can be really helpful for a lot of people. So we can't say it's an end-all, be-all for everybody. Take CBD oil, take these drinks, and it's going to change your life. But for a lot of people, it really does. But what about THC? Because I know CBD and THC are a little different. They are very different. THC is the psychoactive effect. That's the thing that's going to make people feel high or have the psychedelic impact. So just CBD oil... Uh, does not contain THC. It contains 0.03%. It has to have less than that to just be called CBD. But the THC effect is for those who want the effects of CBD oil plus the feeling of being high. So again, you know, none of this is judgmental. You do you, especially if it works. Great. But we do not have the research yet to show how impactful this can be. We've been studying alcohol and sleep for a very long time. We can see exactly what happens with the impact neurologically, the suppression of the stages. We just haven't been studying this yet, but everybody says something different so far. Uh, no widespread uh, long-term reports. There is a possibility of showing that we go into stage one faster, which is initiating sleep quicker, having stage two be slightly suppressed throughout the night, having stage three, which is restful deep sleep, be a little bit longer, and having REM, the cellular restorative stage of sleep, be a bit shorter. So... There are impacts, um, and for a lot of people, it could be really positive. But for you know, you know, there's always an outlier that it could really be a problem for. Because hmm. here's a funny thing: I illegally used THC for a long time through high school and college, or end of mainly beginning of college through my twenties, and then I stopped. And then it was it wasn't until after I had stopped really that I started having poor sleep for a long time. And I'm going to guess that had to do with just like years of conditioning and my body adapting to that. But that's something that I always find interesting. Do you use CBD oil again now? Sparingly. Oh. And sometimes like since the we have gummies now and the mints and things like that, I'll do that. But I still feel like sometimes I'll wake up with that like THC or CBD hangover is like what it feels like. I just feel a little more like a little slower in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny how our bodies work. And even as a shift worker, this is something yeah. that it's almost like I don't want to say you can never recover from the things that we do in our youth, but we Sometimes don't. Mm -hmm. I worked overnights for years. I know it's so hypocritical. <laughs> Poor sleep people. Hey, we're just humans here. We're just, we're okay. We're just trying to make a go of it. So yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, but there are times where I'm like, this is strange. I know I'm doing everything right. I know I have exactly perfect sleep. And then I just had an awful night. And I just think, oh, my poor circadian rhythms from all of those nights of watching people sleep at three o'clock in the morning. You know, you can you can do everything you can habit wise uh, to repair, but there's always going to be those lingering effects of our youth. Totally. So very much so kind of dialing it in from what kind of what I heard you say was that like, if you are somebody we're going into the holidays, business is really busy in your business, you know, you've got these holiday parties and everything like that. And you're starting to find that you're having a hard time sleeping. You're saying that CBD oil is like just a couple drops can really help you on that entire process. But the science is out for kind of like that. I'm just talking about there's a margarita blend drink that we sell here in the shop. And I'm like, it's super good. But I have to say, like, the science is out if it's actually going to be, if it's truly actually helping me get restful. It's helping me get to sleep. Right. But that restful, restorative sleep is, so there's a reason why when I wake up, I feel like a train maybe hit me. Yeah, absolutely. The science is still out. (laughs) Final answer. (laughs) Now to go on the flip of that, because there is research on alcohol. Like what exactly, because people are going to start going to holiday parties. And I mean, like, you know, we're going to host holiday parties here at my business. Like you might be thinking about hosting holiday parties at your business. Like very much so everybody, you want to celebrate. Like you, like we're not saying like you do you, but like it's, I think it's super important to understand like what are the impacts on your body during such a busy time of the year? Yeah, I, I do love that saying you do you, because a lot of times people will raise their hands like, okay, like I, I just have to say I do that. It's like, don't worry, I'm not good. At, I do that too. That's okay. I mean, we're going to end this podcast and at some point Andrew and I will have old fashioned. Yes, like, yeah, it's not like right after this. It's 10 a.m. right now, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's really more just about not only education, but what is what does your day look like? What does your night look like? What are you expecting from your weekend? So when we go all in, which a lot of us do in the holidays, I do as well. You know, you go to the parties, you drink the champagne, you have all of the appetizers, and then you think, okay, well, this is awful. The New Year's hits and you're like, all right, time to reverse all of that. Let's undo it. All of it's okay. It's it's all okay. We're you know, we're habit-based people. Humans are are really good at continuing to do the same thing. So I always say if you're not really suffering, then that's okay. Have fun. But for the people who are suffering, they're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired. Then it's where we say, all right, well, this is here's a, a chart that shows the stages of sleep that are negatively impacted by alcohol. Everybody's so individualized. You have to know yourself well enough to know if two glasses of champagne is what makes you not sleep. Uh, then, okay, maybe switch to just one glass of wine at a certain time and then uh, look for supplementing with all of the non-alcoholic beverages that we have available now. It's all about what makes you feel okay, what makes you feel good. And it's never about all or nothing. I would never say go into the Christmas season dry. I would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is like alcohol is a sugar. So does, I mean, you're adding alcohol, but then I, I feel like around the holidays, you also have all this sugar that's going so into everything. So much sugar, which of course we know is awful for our bodies in general, but for our sleep, having our insulin spike will help us feel really, really energized. Uh, now, eventually that combat will decrease. So a lot of times that's where we feel that sugar crash. So we found the funniest commercial from the 60s. Wonder Bread put out this commercial. It's like an original sleep hack. They're like, eat a turkey sandwich on Wonder Bread for the best sleep of your life. And that's because turkey has tryptophan, which is that sleeping hormone that we know from Thanksgiving. But Wonder Bread is so high in sugar that people were eating these sandwiches and then like crashing 20 minutes later. I would not recommend that diet, but it is, yes, sugar intake in the holidays is increasing exponentially, but it's just about how you feel. 
What about a turkey only? Like, can you just have turkey? Turkey if- only or on not Wonder Bread. Turkey on any other bread? <laughs> any yes. other just bread. So sorry. Any other bread. Don't come after us, Wonder Bread. I know. Sorry. sorry. Like, you put out the... Yeah, yeah you did yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are there any other foods, like, are high-fat foods bad for your sleep? Are there, like, other foods that, like, we could be eating before we go to bed that are bad for our sleep that we don't even realize it? Well, it kind of depends on who you are and what your metabolism does for you. Again, you know, we're all individual little snowflakes. What could work well for your neighbor is going to be the worst thing for your sleep. So Very fair. I always say if you're looking to try something new, try it on a Friday night. See how it makes you feel. If you're like, oh, maybe I'll try CBD oil. Maybe I should try a sleep aid. Or maybe let's see if this tart cherry juice. Have you seen this on the TikTok where all the kids are drinking oh, yeah. tart cherry juice to fall asleep? Because cherries are like the only natural source of melatonin. That's hilarious. I keep thinking Does about that my work? in-laws. No, only if you're deficient in melatonin. This is like the classic TikTok thing is like it's on TikTok and everybody's doing it. And then I'm like, does this actually even make any sense whatsoever? Hey, Tide Pods put you to sleep real, real <laughs> well. God, forever. <laughs> forever. Seriously. So back to melatonin. Tell us more about this melatonin myth. Yeah. So it was just really marketed fabulously. They said... You know, PR goes a really long way. It really does. It was just this wonder drug and it's all natural because we create melatonin in our systems. But the melatonin that you bought at Target is a drug. It was created in a lab. It is supplementing your melatonin. So just like vitamin C, if you're deficient and then you take a vitamin C supplement, you'll feel better. The same with melatonin. All these people are taking this melatonin thinking, oh, it's all natural and it can't harm me in any way. Let's just take it. Well, if you are not deficient in it, it's not going to do its job. So if you do have sufficient melatonin and then you're taking these supplements, we found people are accidentally shifting their circadian rhythms, making them want to go to sleep later and later. And then they're like, this melatonin is not working. I'll take more. It's been a mess for a lot of people. That being said, it has been a game changer for a lot of people. People say, oh my gosh, I can't live without my melatonin. Is some of that placebo effect? Absolutely. But are there some people, especially really, really young children, people are like, oh, my kid takes a little melatonin gummy. Is that okay? You know, if developmental years are important to you, (laughs) yes, yes, it's okay. Because the physical ramifications of sleep deprivation are so awful, especially in those growing years. Those developmental stages for kids, if they're not getting sufficient sleep, we're seeing failure to thrive, uh, behavioral disorders emerging. Just it's really awful. So, you know, again, you know you and you know your family if it's something that you want to try. But again, with that deficiency happening, that's really where we're looking for supplementation. It's funny because there's also in those little gummies for kids, there's a bunch of sugar. I know. I was like, you're doing, it's like a you gotta, canceling the one out. Exactly. You really got to find the right products. Yeah. I mean, especially as raising two children, I think what you just said, though, is really important. Just like Andrew introduced me to this phase. Is it a net positive or is it like a net negative? Because I don't think it's ever going to be like this whole absolute, you know, and... I think you just kind of have to say, like, in any of this, like, all of these things that are we are talking about, like, is hanging out with your friends and having that social experience, if that's really important to you at that time. Like, we're not saying just stay inside your house, never consume anything, yeah. and just, like, don't live life or anything like that. But it's, like, understanding, like, the scope of it and everything. It's just, just a little bit more. Now, I think that what's so interesting about, like, all of these things that we talked about is there is this, um, your circadian rhythm. Like, can we, like... What is it? Like, how does it go about? And then I also want to talk about like when you have to change your circadian rhythm based off of like jet lag. There's, I think, this really interesting kind of like, I guess what I should say is like somebody said there is an app, like I travel a lot for work, is that you can kind of augment your circadian rhythm by like exposing yourself to sunlight at certain times. So we'll explore that in a second. But what are we talking about here with circadian rhythm? Circadian rhythms are time clocks. And our bodies have circadian rhythms in every single cell. Every little cell in your body has its own circadian rhythm. Wait, 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 what? Every single cell? Mm -hmm. Which tells it it's time to do its job. So these things are regulated by all kinds of external factors, like sunlight. 
internal factors like health of specific organs. And each little system, our respiratory system, our cardiac system, our neurological system, our muscular system, they all have their own circadian rhythms as well that are based off of those external uh, structures too. So the circadian rhythms that we know the most about are sleep, because that's the biggest one that we all experience. Hunger, that's all based off of the circadian rhythm of, again, sunset and sunrise. Uh, But for our circadian rhythms, when it comes to our sleep-wake cycle, the vast majority of us need about eight hours of sleep to feel rested. We know this in a 24-hour period. Side note, average American gets 6.5 hours of sleep every night, so we're all sleep-deprived. There is a very small percentage of the population that is what we call short sleepers. I know, very clever name. They usually need about six hours of sleep to feel rested, and then there's long sleepers that could be 10 to 12 hours in a 24-hour period. There's even a sleep disorder called idiopathic hypersomnia. Some people need 20 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period just to feel rested. Yes. So if we just need the eight, we should feel grateful. But our circadian rhythms are what is individually telling us it's time to wake up or it's time to go to sleep. This is where we see a difference in night owls, morning larks, and the in-betweeners. Sadly, our society really rewards morning lark. Yep. Early bird gets the worm. Yeah, us two over here. Yeah. Very much so. yeah. But about 35 to 40% of the population really are night owls, therefore wanting to sleep a little bit later, therefore doing their best work at maybe three o'clock in the afternoon. And now it seems like you've already wasted your day, but your circadian rhythm says this is when it's time to wake, this is when it's time to sleep, this is when it's time to be productive. So shifting our circadian rhythms, technically, yes, we can do this with sunlight exposure, even melatonin intake could help with all of that. But there are four different chronotypes. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. Chronotype being where your circadian rhythms really fall. Uh, There are, I forgot what the animals are. There are four animals and it says either your chronotype wants you to go to bed at 9 p.m. and wake up at this time. Maybe your chronotype is a midnight to eight. Uh, You can Google it and take a little quiz and find out what your animal is. Uh, But all of us are very, very different. So when we think about shifting our circadian rhythms, if you do want to do that, you're just going to have to know what your schedule should be so you can function outside of it. And does it accidentally shift on its own sometimes? Yeah, but it's usually not an accident. It's usually, again, the external forces that are playing the games, uh, not realizing, especially with how much blue light emission we're all receiving these days, how that can make a difference for keeping our brains awake. Interesting, because I've felt recently that I actually always notice notice this in the winter. I'm much more of somebody who likes to go to bed when the sun goes down, wake up when the sun comes up, but in the winter, so it's harder for me to get up at that, you know, 530 in the morning. Yeah. But I've noticed now that like I'm starting to feel that pull to like stay in bed later, but then work later. And it's weird. Like I'm like, it's it's a shift. Yeah, absolutely. So that's great. That just means you're a very adaptable human being. Uh, We experience SAD in the Midwest, seasonal affective disorder. This is a real thing. It's not just because, oh, I experience that, yeah, trust me. it's very hormonal. When we get sunlight exposure, that creates not only you know vitamin D that makes us feel good, but serotonin, which is a happy hormone. It's created in our gut. The more sunlight exposure we get, the more serotonin we're building. Serotonin conforms, transfers, and then creates melatonin through darkness. So as much serotonin as you have in your body in the day, at night, when darkness falls, it becomes melatonin. Interesting. So think about it. We're not getting any sunlight. <laughs> we are very sad about that. We don't have serotonin to make us feel happy. And then we try to go to sleep and we're not sleeping well. Starting that cycle of waking up now feeling even less happy because you had a bad night of sleep. So that makes total sense because there's like some statistic that in a, like Fairbanks, Alaska, there's like the highest rate of depression in that city because like in the winter, they get something like two hours of sunlight yeah. a day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? No, I, I sorry, people. I mean, right. it's just not for me. Right. I even think about it in the winter when you do get to go outside. So I try to get outside as much as possible. But sometimes 
you, you know, you go outside and it's windy and gross and like just your face is showing. And the unfortunate thing about getting sun in the winter is you get punched in the face with cold too. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, sad lamps are really helpful. And it's one of those things I always tell people, they're like, oh, what about my Fitbit? What about my Apple Watch? What about my Aura Ring? What about the sad lamps? What about the weighted blankets? What about my mattress? It's really tough to know what could be helpful for each individual. But in the Midwest, I definitely recommend sad lamps. The bright light exposure at certain times throughout the day that can help create that serotonin effect, especially in the morning when we wake up and it's still pitch black, just shine that sad lamp. They're on Amazon and, you know, not I don't work for Amazon. In fact, shop small. Yeah. But if you are going to look for something like that, it could be really, really impactful through yeah. the winter. So what do you recommend to people that then have to travel for work, especially if they have to then say like they're flying from Minneapolis to Amsterdam for like a business meeting or mm-hmm. something like what what should they do? The most realistic recommendation is to pad in an extra day on the tail end. Everybody gets home and think they're going to go to work the next day. Don't. You have to allow your body time. I haven't done that. No. (laughs) Every time. time. Yep. Just schedule that extra day because if you're going to go to all of the work of shifting your circadian rhythm, looking up the jet lag apps of doing, if you're going to do that work, then just take that extra day to just sleep. Catch back up and kind of let your body have a chance to regulate on its own without all of the fancy mechanisms. It's funny that we don't do that. It's Why funny don't that we, we do that? Yeah, it's funny that we just, we're like, we have to go there. So we spend the time, like we spend the day before being like, we have to pack and all this stuff. We never spend the time to like decompress for anything. It's so helpful. It's that FOMO. I think it's just as like, well, I could have one more day of vacation though, or like the one more day of work or whatever. Right. Do you feel like those jet lag, so the jet lag apps that are out there are kind of telling you like central time zone, like your circadian rhythm is set to this. And they're saying then when you go to this area, try to expose yourself to sunlight during these times to help reset your circadian rhythm. Do you feel like that actually helps? Yes, it is helpful. But I wouldn't say resetting your circadian rhythms. I'd say adjusting them. Fair. Fair enough. You're going to still have the same one when you get home. Uh, You're going to your body's going to attempt to re-regulate to that circadian rhythm, whatever your specific one is. Uh, But just kind of working with it a bit while we travel is doable. So fascinating, I have to say. So how much do how much does having a having like a daily habit affect your sleep? Like having like doing the same thing every day, like a regimen? So this medical community is torn on this. (laughs) And by torn, obviously we know everybody knows habits are great. Uh That being said, have you guys read Why We Sleep? Matthew Walker? No. Oh, but I've listened to many podcasts with him. Yes. So his biggest thing is the same bedtime and same wake time is the number one thing you can do for your sleep, mm-hmm. that habit of, and that's great. If realistically we could all do that, I would agree. But that is just not doable. Uh, it wasn't doable prior to COVID. It's less doable now. Everybody just survive, do what you got to do. Right, 10,000 years ago, it wasn't doable. Yeah. So if you do want to work on habits, though, I would say bedtime routine. And I always talk about this with my clients because it sounds childish. Kids obviously have bedtime routines. We all know how important that is but adults are supposed to have them as well. We were never meant to be active up until bedtime. The time before bed is sacred time spent around the fire, catching up with other tribes, letting people know, don't eat that poisonous berry. This was really important time for relaxing because our brains need room. Sleep initiating hormones have to go somewhere. If you are being busy, if you are like chaotic, if you're watching CSI, if you're, you know, all of these things, that doesn't leave room for sleep initiating hormones. We have to very much take that time uh, to land our planes, slowly descend into night. So if you're going to start doing habits an hour before bedtime, create a calming bedtime routine. Most adults are going to see a huge shift in their ability to initiate sleep. How about TV? How about it? 
<laughs> oh, blue light. Television is still blue light. Um, those emissions at frequency, it does prevent that transformation of serotonin to melatonin, and it shakes your brain awake all night. How long does that last? How long are you watching the TV? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, uh, I would say maybe from like 8.30 to 10. Okay. Do you have blue light blocking lenses? I don't wear glasses. Well, you could just get lenses uh-huh. with blue light, like cheaters at Walmart, and it has blue tech put in them. Interesting. Because that's interesting because we have this like this thing we do before bed where sometimes we'll sit down and watch Netflix or something for like an hour before bed. And then it's like we let the dogs out and then we go to bed right after that. Yeah. Do you have a hard time falling asleep? No, I fall right asleep, but I wake up right around that three or four yeah, to that's go to the bathroom. Why. And then my, like, oh, okay. what are these things I'm supposed to be doing? We're going to experiment, all right? Uh-huh. That hour before bedtime, no cell phones, no laptops, and you can work your way up. Honestly, yeah. start with 20 minutes tonight. It's yeah. a hard thing to do. It's not like an hour before bedtime tonight, you'll be like totally okay without your phone. You have to build up to it. That being said, it's incredibly impactful. We don't realize how much these electronics are impacting our neurological system until we stop doing it. And then it's almost like it just kind of comes out of this fog and it keeps you asleep all night. It's fascinating. I've had people tell me I haven't slept through the night in five years and Sarah stole my cell phone during my sleep study, slept like a baby. It's just really, really important. Um, So just try it for a week and see if that hour before bedtime, you could work your way up and no blue light exposure. If you know, you have to set your alarm. If you have to do anything on your phone, put on those little blocking lenses. It's a big thing for most people. I mean, thank goodness we're coming out of a writer strike. So like if there's any a time to not like, yeah, this is the time people to experiment and see if you don't need to because there's no new content coming out. Yes. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. And I used to have patients tell me I can't sleep without my TV. And I just say, have you ever tried? Right. Sharon, when was the last time you turned your TV off before bed? Just do it. You'll be fine. <laughs> so it's a good thing. Like I've always been like, oh my God, books put me to sleep. Yes. It's actually a great thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The best yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I'm never going to finish this book, but man, that yep, sleep but man, is... it puts me to sleep. Yeah. I had a guy in one of my sessions one day. He was like, you say you have a bedtime routine, but I have mine and it's perfect. And I, I did it. And then he's up with, and, and my Kindle, I just end with my Kindle. And I said, okay, well, that's the only thing, you know, that we should work on then. That sounds like a great routine. We just, don't read your Kindle. Well, I have to read. It relaxes me. What am I supposed to read? He was totally serious. I was like, a book (laughs) with pages that you don't plug in? It didn't even occur to him. So I thought that the Kindles actually had a different type of light. Okay. Just for everybody to know, Sarah just 100% rolled her eyes and I kind of love that. So yeah. I mean, but that's kind of the thing is they tell you like the Kindle doesn't have the blue. I mean, maybe they tell you, I actually don't know. They're just like, the Kindle's better. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. They're super believable too. (laughs) Yeah. Once again, PR. Yeah. Um, It's just... Yeah, electronic devices, don't use them. You're going to have some exposure. Yes, there are going to be different levels of it. Yes, there are ways to block some of it, but you're still getting... You're still getting the influence. Yeah, I know. And so many people that just like derp on their phones before they go to bed. I know. It's the worst thing you can do for your sleep for so many different reasons. I mean, I think this is making a lot of sense because my husband, I mean, I think this is where you probably hear these arguments all the time. I'm just going to do a quick cough. A cough button. Yeah, I know. Yes, I do. Future upgrade. So very much so my husband has been like, you know, I am just a night owl, but he also goes on his computer all night long and he's like making music and he's like, I'm in this creative flow state. Like, that could be a really interesting combination of maybe a night owl of certain chronotype that is more creative or has all of the ability to produce in the middle of the night. There are people who do that. There are always outliers, but we also create our world sometimes. So without the electronic devices, I'd be fascinated to see what he could actually do with sleep. I mean, I'm sure that many people listening have somebody in their life that is just like that. Like, what would be the one thing that you would say to them? Like, if you could try doing just one thing, would it be that he just sets like a bedtime 
or is it just like what's worth like having a specific like I go to bed at like say 10 p.m. or is it the electronics? The electronics are probably more influential at this point because we don't know about his chronotype. He might even if we said go to bed at 10, he could lay there until midnight if that's his body's bedtime. A lot of us miss our bedtime because we think that we should be up. Some people have an eight o'clock bedtime and at eight o'clock you're like <gasps> yawning. I have and then an eight o'clock bedtime. And you're like, oh, it's too early to go to bed. I'm going to stay up a little later. And then you get in bed and you can't fall asleep. You missed your bedtime. I have no. a friend who's got an eight o'clock bedtime. And it's really fun going Is to- Is it me? No, no, no. no. <laughs> it's really fun going to their house for dinners because then she'll just get up and be like, it's bedtime. Good night, everybody. And she goes to bed. I and then love she that. gets up for like four in Texas recipes. And it was like perfect. Last night I like fell asleep while I was putting my kids to bed. And then I just like, yeah, my husband was like, did you fall asleep? I was like, yep. And I'm just going to go back to bed. So I got like a really fabulous nine hours before today. And I'm like, I know I'm just like, I feel on fire. Isn't so, that yeah. fascinating how we have those days where we're like, oh, yes, today's the day. I feel so great. But then what we're used to is the opposite. Yeah, I know. I actually, that's the one thing I've always said is like, I do prioritize sleep over anything. And I am like Andrew, where I can just fall asleep. Like, you know, just, I mean, there's more images of me literally asleep places <laughs> than not asleep. Like I'm actually like, I feel like I give my entire day. I'm like, I am so, I give everything. And then my body is just like, I've got nothing left to there give. There you go. Like yep. it's just that is done. very, very common with high-performing women. Oh, perfect. I, I know. High fives I all know. around. Yes. <laughs> I feel so seen. Thank you. <laughs> so falling asleep in cars then. Ugh. You know about that? I know a lot about it. Actually, this is a big problem with the transportation industry. The Department oh, of yeah. Transportation in Minnesota actually put together a program of requiring testing for drivers for sleep apnea. Mm. So oh. dangerous. And there's no tests that we can do to look for fatigue like we can with alcohol. In fact, I did a report with Care 11 years ago, and they took me, a medical student, and a paramedic student and kept us up all night at HCMC and then brought us the next day to do a driving test. So we went to this closed driving course with one of those pedaled, you know, like the driver's ed, the student oh, yeah. cars. Drove around with a sheriff, and they recorded our driving skills. My set was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is super unfair because not only was I up all night, but that's when all of us are naturally sleepy anyway. Our circadian rhythms want us to fall asleep. Right. I looked hammered. I was like, behind the wheel. I don't remember any of it. I think I was up for like 36 hours at that point. Oh, my God. But the next day, the sheriff emailed me. He was so sweet, and he was like, because I, <laughs> I saw... On the news, I had to watch it like this because they did a whole report on it. I just was like on the screen. I fell asleep when I pulled up to a stoplight and I was at the wheel just like nodding off. And then all of a sudden it turned green and the sheriff was like, it's green. And I woke up and I said, I know, all bratty. <laughs> I did not know I was sleeping. So he told me that the vast majority of people he pulls over for suspected drunk driving are sleepy. He said eight out of 10, he breathalyzes and they're just really tired. So I have a question about that then, because I've heard that sleep deprivation is almost the same as being legally drunk. It's worse. Is it worse? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it then, impairs your systems, your functionality more than alcohol for most people. So are any of your clients then doctors? Because that's the one where I'm going like, having coming from a family of nurses, they talk about how sleep deprived they get and how sleep deprived doctors are. And I was like, well, basically we're training doctors to be drunk on the job then. That is terrifyingly accurate. So the medical professionals who push through are the ones who should know better why we have these schedules, why we have these shifts for people who have to do the most important thing, which is save our bodies. 
I will never know. Uh, this is also a part of the reason that one of the highest incidences of death by suicide is in the medical community. Interesting. Sleep deprivation changes you. Yeah. My dad, uh, he retired after being a nurse anesthetist for the past 40 years. And he, I, I know it just destroyed his like endocrine system, basically. Like he couldn't sleep. It was just like, you know, and that's, that's something that I, I think about is like 40 years of basically sleep deprivation, getting up in the middle of the night two or three times a week to run in and do something. I think about that. I'm like, wow, that it does have such a profound effect on you. It does. But we didn't know when we think about sleep research, sleep is a baby in all the medical fields. When you think about I think about like heart surgery, we've been cracking open bodies for centuries. Sleep is just young. We're just scratching the surface. Right. And a lot of sleep education originally came from psychologists, psychiatrists, Freud, and all of their assumptions or opinions, not at all based on science. So we got the science in the last four decades, and now we're just kind of starting to play catch up. Right. Aren't vitamins a similar thing, too? Didn't we just discover like vitamin C and D yep. like yep. 60 years yeah. ago or something yeah. like that? And now it's like, okay, so we we messed up. <laughs> right. We should not have been uh, putting people through medical school saying, all right, here's a 24-hour shift. Go cut somebody's brain open. Right. But oh, now that that's the standard kind of hard to change. I mean, is it changing? At, or Yes and no. The conversations are being had more. Okay. Local, community, statewide sleep societies are trying to have impact through legislation, but, you know, there's only so much you could do. I mean, I guess my one question is, is like, can you technically, I mean, I guess it is. It's you could have bodily autonomy. You can say like, you look super tired. Is there somebody else that can look, you like, can you say that? Yep. Every time I get on a plane, I ask to meet the pilot. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially like long haul flights, like you're like, actually, no, long haul flights are probably the ones where they have the better because you're just like, that's your one trip. It's like the short connectors that are the ones that are going to get you. This is not a judgment, but I all of us have that fear, of course. Yeah, nobody wants to die. Yes, air travel is scary. Uh, but again, there are now new regulations coming out, uh, conversations happening through uh, different people with the airlines, I'll say. So I guess it's a good time to, to do anything. <laughs> they at least are, are talking about it. Fascinating. I know, I always think about those things now where it's like you trust, you always trust a doctor, you always trust a pilot. But then when you when you factor in their sleep schedule, you're like, but why? I don't know what you did before right. you came here. Yeah, for sure. I listened to somebody recently on a podcast was talking about how like we trust our lives with pilots and and flight attendants. And like, it's likely that they've been sleep deprived or there's a culture of partying. Like, so you, you had a bunch of frat boys and sorority girls out partying the night before they, you jumped on a plane to fly you across the country. I was like, I don't ever want to think about that the next time you get on the airplane. Well, it's the same with driving. Yeah. Why do we trust the people in our community to be rested enough I mean, to get behind the car? Worse. That's always the thing is like when everybody says anything, I was like, you literally get in a car every single day. Every and like you day. just normalize that on a like a, at least with flying, there are certain measures in place to try to check. Like there's nothing between you and the car next to you that's, that's checking the person. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. I think most oftentimes when I've had a scary driving incident, I've looked over at the person as I'm passing them and I'm like, oh, they are literally falling asleep at the wheel exactly. right now. Yeah. I've had a lot of people come into the lab and say, you know, I'm, I'm here because I fell asleep behind the wheel or I made it home every day last week and I don't remember it. It just like the autopilot got them. Home. It just really is something prevalent that people don't think about because it's not talked about enough, you know, just like every other aspect of sleep medicine. How many times do you remember somebody saying, okay, don't get behind the wheel tired? No, it's don't 
drink and drive. No, it's so true. I mean, it is literally like you shouldn't. Yeah. If you're at a party and it's even if you went sober the whole way, if you're tired, just get an Uber. It'll be fine. Oh, there's nothing worse than the feeling of trying to stay awake or the feeling of trying to go to sleep. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. There's a reason sleep deprivation is the most effective form of torture. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So we're now going to take just like little pivot and we're going to, I was trying to be punny, but I was, it's totally failed, but it was like on naps because you're actually very pro nap. You're literally sitting here wearing a shirt that says naps are awesome, which I quite love. Um, and one of the things that I think is really interesting, and I had never heard about this until I heard you talking on a podcast about it, which is like napping pods. What are they? Amazing. <laughs> Necessary. So napping is another thing where there's that stigma attached, you know, like sleep apnea and fat guys. Napping, you're lazy. Oh, my gosh. You're so lazy. Uh -huh. You're taking a nap. It's so untrue. The National Sleep Foundation recommends a 20 to 30 minute power nap every day because the vast majority of us are sleep deprived. We're getting 6.5 hours. We need to supplement that with rest during the day. And naps are awesome. Tell me a time that you took a nap that you really regret it. And if you do, you probably slept so long that you went into REM. And when we're in REM sleep, our muscles become paralyzed. So we can't act out our dreams and harm ourselves or our bed partners. So muscle paralysis or sleep paralysis, if you've ever woken up and you couldn't move. The worst. It's very, very scary. But there's never been a case of sleep paralysis that's turned into actual paralysis. Okay. You will move again. So I'm one of those... <sighs> I don't know. We're going to just scenario play with me as one of because I'm probably a percentage of the people. For me, naps are very hard. A, like I can just lie there and then I get really frustrated and then I'm like, well, now this is just a hot waste of time. But I actually tend to, if I do get a nap, I wake up more tired. I feel like groggy and... You went into REM. So 20 to 30 minutes is recommended because with that 20 minute mark, that's most of us are in deep sleep restful sleep, stage three. It takes our bodies 10 minutes to fall into deep sleep. And when we wake up out of deep sleep, we feel good. We're like, oh, that was great. If you go longer, you run the risk of going into REM, which most people who are sleep deprived will do. Your body wants to go into REM. Damn kids. I know. So if you're not <laughs> sleeping well and you're like, I'll just take a quick nap, a quick nap really does have to be quick for you. Otherwise, you're going to wake up with that muscle paralysis hormone still in your system feeling groggy and awful. So basically, she's going to deep REM sleep fast because she's sleep deprived? Correct. Okay. Yep. So, and that's I mean, a and very I try common... to, I get to bed at like 9, 9, 9.30 every yeah. night. Like, I'm not like a partier. Like, yeah. Right. But Alice but do... at like 3 in the morning. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but you do have those awakenings yeah. you know, to check on the kids. You do have that when you wake up, you know, as a mom, as a business owner, as a totally. mind it's starts like building to go. on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will say this, though. If you are in that hot mask phase, do you wear an eye mask at night? No, I feel like that would annoy me. Like, okay. But I haven't tried. Like, I haven't, like, truly, like, truly I'm willing tried. to try. Here's why. Eye masks are awesome. Everybody should wear them every single night. Obviously, it blocks out light, which is our brain's indicator for wakefulness, but it's also what we call a trained behavior. So if you take that eye mask and you pull it down every night to go to sleep, very quickly, your brain will learn that this specific motion means it's time to fall asleep. So if you want to be a good napper, I always tell my patients, wear an eye mask every night for four or five nights. And then on day six, if you want to take a nap, grab that eye mask, pull it down. You'll be shocked at how quickly your brain releases hormones to fall asleep. Do you have a recommended eye mask? Because I'm definitely a sensory type of a person. And so like, I'm imagining I have to have a silk one. I have to have it very smooth, like across my face. There are a lot of different options. Uh, you know, you can find them online. You can find, I got one with uh, an event that I did with the Ball of America, Lululemon. That's a real fancy one. It's thick and oh, I it's do love soft a good and it's Velcro. Pant. I know. They probably <laughs> would make one that I would love. They do have a good eye mask. Perfect. No, I don't work for Lululemon. 
<laughs> no, but we'd all be okay if you would uh, sponsor all of us. Yeah. So, yes, yes. Yeah, eye masks are great. They're really helpful. And for kids, too, kids love them, especially if parents have them. Uh, oh. Everybody in the household should have them. Uh, they used to always wear dish rags around eyes back in the 50s, take a dish rag and tie it around your face. And then someone monetized it. And then someone monetized it and made it almost a female thing. You don't see a lot of men toting the benefits of their eye mask. It's not girly at all. Put something on your face, fall asleep. Huh. This is fascinating. So, but very much so like, so for like businesses and everything, you're very much so trying to get businesses to like embrace napping as part of like the company culture. Yes, is that napping correct? pods. They are all over the place now. They are in a lot of the different buildings uh, in the group rooms downtown. I teach classes for companies that obviously are tenants in big office buildings. So they have those community spaces where napping pods are popping up. But yeah, Google started this trend prior to the pandemic because they've realized that rested employees are more productive. So you can have people who are attempting to remain engaged. You know, you're nodding off at two o'clock, but then you check Facebook and look at people's pictures and try to stay awake. Well, take a nap instead and then think of all of the ideas you'll come up with after. So like as a small business owner, I 100% do not have a napping room and probably like don't at the moment have the capital budget to really afford getting, building out napping pots. It's kind of right now we're like, do we buy inventory or like it just is, what would you say to small business owners that obviously like we care deeply about our employees? Like what are some of the steps? Is it just buying the eye masks now or like? Eye masks are going to be the biggest thing for any space. A lot of small companies have nursing rooms, have quiet rooms, have a space where you can go. So if you just provide some of the, like the smallest little things like eye masks, a fan and blackout shades in the corner of your office space, get a nice comfy couch that's now going to be a wellness center. It's the easiest thing to get the most productivity out of a team. Huh. I mean, and then I'm guessing you're saying that equally as so is like very much so Andrew and I had a conversation before you got on, which is always interesting as the CEO, you want all of these good things for your employees, but you don't do them yourself. You don't. Yes, the hypocrisy runs deep. <laughs> so do you find that with a lot of CEOs? I do. But the good news is it only takes a few conversations. And a lot of my clients are repeat clients. I've going every year. They're like, all right, come, let's do a refresher because we heard it and we learned it and we did a really good job for a few months. Uh, and then we all kind of dropped off. So let's start over. And that's great because eventually most people are going to become really awesome sleepers from continuing to try over and over. Uh, but for those higher ups, you know, the more you hear the message, the more you see it in your teams, the more they're noticing more energy and people with the bounce in their steps around the office, it really is contagious. I always need somebody with like to text me and be like, hey, did you take your nap today? You know, it's like there are apps for that. <laughs> the, of course there are. <laughs> even the National Sleep Foundation, that's a really great source. It's NSF.org. You can sign up for daily emails. You can sign up for tips and tricks. They just push all of the sleep info at you. And it, eventually it will seem cool because it is. It's really cool to be rested. It's not cool to be tired. You look awful. First of all, how good does it feel when somebody says, oh, you look tired? That's the biggest insult. Like, screw you. But also, there are napping laws in Japan. So we just kind of need to catch up here. Yeah, wait a minute. I was about to ask you a different question. But what do you mean there's napping laws in Japan? Because they actually work extremely hard in Japan. Japan, like, you know, countries in Asia, like, I don't think we quite understand. Like, we feel like Americans are overworked. But actually, in, like, Japanese culture, like, they, on average, work 12 to 16-hour days. Right. And this is something that was recently implemented due to death by suicide at work. Yeah. So they're realizing, okay, we're... We, we did something wrong here. Yeah. So um, instead of jumping out of the window, just take a nap. Right. And so that's a government regulation now in Japan? I'll send you the article. I don't want to misquote. Yeah, fair. 
I mean, I think that's the thing, though. It's really interesting is like, I mean, we very much so like, quote unquote, I think America's having this like weird phase with its like hustle culture. Oh, whatever, absolutely. You know? But I mean, I think like around the world, like cultures are also equally, you know, having it like how we react to like napping and sleeping and how much we work. You know, so the whole Mediterranean diet was so popular for so long. It still is because it's the best. It's how people live the longest, but they don't talk about how in that diet, it's really more of a lifestyle. And in that lifestyle, napping is huge. All around the world, you know, people shut down their shops in Italy after lunch so people can rest. You have siestas and space, you know, it's it's more accepted to say. I wonder if that's how it is in Okinawa too, because I was watching that Blue, Lo- Blue Zone the show. Blue Zones, yeah. The lady from Okinawa, she was like, she looks so, so active and she's like 103 or something like that. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I know. Blue Zones are so fascinating. Yeah. So, how did you get interested in all of this? Like, literally, you know so much. Like, how did Sarah become, like, at what, what was the point in your career, in your life, that one day you were like, sleep, I like it, I want to know all about it, and I'm going to go deep in it? I actually started out wanting to be a nurse, um, but Sarah does not do well with blood. It did not take <laughs> long for me to realize that was not going to get to be my yeah. career. But yeah. I knew I wanted to work in a, a medical profession where I could help people. Um, so I looked around and Minnesota, believe it or not, is actually a huge sleep medicine community. Really? Minneapolis, Minnesota is one of the biggest places in the world for awesome sleep stuff. We have the Regional Sleep Disorders Center or HCMC, where a lot of the sleep disorders that are classified are discovered. Right here. Yeah. Back in the 70s and 80s, this was a huge place. Seriously, it's like Minneapolis, uh, Stanford University, Cambridge over in England, and um, another university in Italy were like the four biggest places for sleep medicine. I've been discovering this about Minneapolis and the like the medical research community. It's like all of a sudden people are like, yeah, the research in Minnesota. And I was like, Minnesota? Oh, wouldn't have thought. We're doing it. So yeah, I found a sleep medicine program that was at the time one of only six in the country. And it just happened to be right downtown Minneapolis. So I got accepted into the program and I took my first class, instantly obsessed. Oh my gosh, I was just like, what? This is so cool. My professor was talking about the different stages of sleep. I was like, stages of sleep? There's not just sleep and wake? I was writing furiously. I was so excited. I really, really geeked out on it. I even started the polysomnography club. My God. I know. I've been trying to say that word before getting here today. And I'm like, I think maybe polysomnography. Polysomnography. Um, polysomnography. Yeah. So that I could talk about all my random sleep crap to anybody on campus who wanted to hear it. And it's still going today. That was uh, like 20 years ago. There's still a. <laughs> I know. So I'm not the only one. Uh, it really is just cool information. And again, we did not know this when we were young. We didn't know sleep oh. was important, we didn't know it was cool. We knew working out and eating right was health, mm-hmm. but we didn't know about sleep. So were you always entrepreneurial then as a child then? Never. Just like starting the starting this <laughs> club, you know what I mean? Was that something you did in high school or grade school, starting little nope. clubs? Nope. Uh, I always, I'm not a dummy, we'll say. I'm not a genius, but I always did very well. I didn't care much about school. I'd show up on test days and pull a B. Yeah. <laughs> you're in a you're in the okay club here. Let me tell yeah. you. There yeah. you go. Like, yeah. I think yeah. I was like, yeah. a B is good because an A seems like that seems like they're not focused. So much enough. work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. B's and C's here. And let me just tell you, I do have two F's in math, but I also was a pretty shitty teacher. So it's yeah. like it's a shared responsibility. I got an F in French and I speak French. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only F I ever got in high school. Hey, F for French. Yeah, yeah. yeah. F for yeah. <laughs> My mom was yeah. so mad. <laughs> But yeah, no, never had that entrepreneurial spirit, never wanted to be a business owner, never thought, you know, I actually, when I was still doing sleep studies, working overnights with patients, 
I thought I would do it forever. I loved it. I loved working with my patients. But my professor at the time asked me to come back to run the sleep program. He was like, you will be an amazing teacher. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I will never leave my patients. And then uh, I got pregnant and I, I emailed him. I was like, oh, really? He's like, yes, you're mine now. I was like, no. He goes, you'll never work overnights again. And I remember at one point I was only, I think, three months pregnant. And I was sitting there doing a sleep study, watching my patient. And all of a sudden, my coworker tapped me on the shoulder and I had fallen asleep. Oh, no. I was like, oh, that's like the number one rule. Yeah. So I said, I got to take some time off, have this baby. And the whole time he harassed me, he was like, come teach a class. Just see how it feels. Of course, I ended up running the program. He was right. And now I'm teaching in a completely different way. I I was meant to be a teacher. I mean, so what was the transition then between you in the classroom and now like starting your own business? Yeah. So I did it again from my kitchen table. I was still teaching in the program, uh, kicking out the next generations of sleep techs to work at the sleep labs and in the communities and having this feeling of knowing that there was something missing in my community that I could be doing to help just based on the conversations that I had with people saying, hey, I work in sleep medicine. Uh, So it just kind of built. It just took about a year of me saying, all right, maybe I'll find somebody else to teach some of the classes and then I'll take some of my time to see if I can't build something small where part-time I'll go into a company and teach a class and just make sure I have the freedom to be able to do that on days when I'm needed. So I experimented with some friends, teams and companies uh, at different businesses that can I come in and talk to your people about sleep and do my little class, do my spiel, see what questions were asked, see what the community was really looking for as far as education goes. I just kind of developed it that way. I will say one of the game-changing moments for me was I won a fellowship at Coco, the co-working space. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was sponsored through Clockwork. Clockwork mm-hmm. picked me. They did a, a small minority business owner kind of contest and said, if you can work for a year out of Coco, let's see how it would grow your business. And I won with Clockwork. So I got to work out of Coco for a year instead of from my dining room table with my tiny little son crawling at my ankles. Mm-hmm. And it changed everything. Just being around other entrepreneurs, getting to have conversations about business, because I'm not a business woman. I am a healthcare professional. So starting my company was really tough. I took so many classes. I had so many conversations just saying, how can I do this right? How do I do this properly? I don't have that background. I mean, I think the honest answer is there's no correct no. way on how to do it. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is just try, throw a spaghetti on Try, wall, get in the sticks, door, yeah. start talking about sleep. No, seriously. I mean, so that's like kind of interesting. So like, do you kind of have different programs for different size companies? Like definitely like a company like mine where we have like 15 people is very different than say like a Target. Like, let me just tell you what Target can do and I can do are just different. Yes, I create engagements for every team. So it's never the same. I worked with I have worked with Target. I've also worked with my local dry cleaner where they brought in all of their cousins and family members. Yep. And (laughs) I just did a class in the back while they ate lunch. It's always different, but it's always fun for me because no matter what, one person's walking away going, seriously. So is that the thing for you? Is like when you can see that somebody's learned something, is that where you get your, is that like the thing that excites you about this? Oh yeah, that's so exciting. It's so exciting for me to finish a class or a seminar or a conference and then walk off the stage and have people line up. I love that. It's like, they're either going to say, oh my gosh, that was so fun. That was so amazing. Or you were so wonderful. And who doesn't love to hear that? Mm -hmm. But also there are a lot of times where people feel not uncomfortable asking very personal things in front of other people, Mm -hmm. but it just makes me feel like a safe place to know that they knew 
they could wait their turn, have a little privacy, and that I would be willing to help them. So fascinating. Because we all have our different forms of validation in our company. So for ours, it's like if we get an order. And then for you, it's basically if you see that somebody's been educated. Oh, gosh, I get emails all the time. I have people email me constantly and say, you don't know me. You came into XYZ company three weeks ago and um, I got a sleep study and turns out I had severe sleep apnea. Oh, my God. I never, ever would have known. I never would have done anything about this. I cannot believe how much this has changed my life. I have a whole folder of those. It's the best. So what's the one of the wildest, if you can share a story, what is one of the wildest things that you've encountered? Uh, we don't have, that's a different podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't even, well, okay. I'll tell you one from a patient and one from a client. Okay. So a patient, well, a long time ago, because we're talking about the Metrodome, mm-hmm. came in and he was the nicest guy. He was very, very sleepy. He was a little, little overweight, middle-aged, just great guy. and was telling me while I was putting all of his wires on that he wasn't able to have a baby. Him and his wife had been trying for eight years and that was just causing so much stress between their relationship. And he, as he's telling me this, he's like falling asleep. I'm like, no wonder you can't perform, right? Right. Yeah, you know he's having a baby in this household. But he had really bad sleep apnea. I think his number was like 47 times an hour that he stopped breathing. Whoa. So when he woke up, I had put him on CPAP, uh, the treatment for sleep apnea in the morning and he was like, oh, that thing's kind of weird. And I was like, well, you know, I really hope you wear it every night. It, it's going to be a game changer for your fatigue and everything. He's like, all right, well, I'll let you know. Uh, come visit me at the Metrodome. He was a beer vendor. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm in section, da 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 If you ever go to a Vikings game, come find me. I'll buy you a beer. I was like, that's reason enough for me. Yeah. 100%. So a couple of months later, the season started and I was there and I was like, I'm going to go find that patient and see if he's, I remembered the section yeah. number. And I walked up to him and as soon as he saw me, he was like, oh, my God, Sarah. And he started to get emotional. And I was like, and he was like, my wife's pregnant. I swear it's the CPAP. And I was like, um, amazing. That's so amazing. They'd been trying for eight years. And I kind of jokingly was like, Sarah's a really great name if it's a girl. Then I did all this research. Turns out the intertesticular deregulation that happens with lack of oxygen and blah, blah, blah. He was shooting blanks. And then he got on CPAP and it corrected. Oh, oh wow. I know. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Uh. So I thought. That was oh yeah. I put it because that's a feather in the cap for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's not just about being tired. It's all of the other systems that are impacted. But another funny one was I spoke at a women's conference and this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, um, "I can vouch for Im- how important sleep is within relationships because I got divorced from my husband a few years ago and we couldn't sell our house. We ended up living together in the same house for five months while we were getting divorced. I know, right? Wow. She said, we ended up getting back together because we started sleeping in separate bedrooms and realized the reason we hate each other is because not only do we ruin each other's sleep, but it has made us so angry and resentful to be sleep deprived and then have to operate in this relationship. She said, the second we stopped sleeping together, we started getting along in the house and realized that we do really still like each other and ended up getting remarried. I've heard that so many times that people who struggle to sleep will, that they end up ruining their marriage. Oh, absolutely. Because our resilience and our empathy are reduced. Right. But we tell us the story that if we love each other, we have to sleep together. It's false. (laughs) Co-sleeping was never a thing. This is a recent phenomenon with the invention of the queen mattress in the 50s. Historically, we didn't sleep together. Only poor families co-slept for warmth. Other families had more than one room and the ability to not sleep together because you would ruin each other's sleep. The families that slept together only did it because they couldn't afford to have extra beds. Also, those are the families that didn't survive as often because they were sleep deprived and the mental acuity needed to survive in those times 
was different. Wait, so is that why in castles there's like the queen and the king's chamber? Yeah. They have like separate. Yep. And then Everybody the White House. that people were prudish, but no, it was for survival. Don't don't sleep what? with your partner. Oh my God. I had no, I mean, I knew like, I mean, there was like the whole leave it to beaver and everybody was just like, yeah, because it was like the story we tell ourselves so that it was prudish. I mean, and maybe part of that is true, but yeah, I know a hundred percent. There's been times when my partner is away and I'm like, I need some great this sleep This is here. wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Well, think about the word, think about the root word prudent, like prudent yes. and prudish. They're the same. So what does that come from? So I'm sure if we knew Latin, we'd understand, but. Great question. What I do know though is. When we think about that concept, a lot of people do it. If you've seen in the news recently, they talk about the great sleep divorce and mm-hmm. people have always slept separately. People don't talk about it because it's almost an, a negative indicator of your relationship, which is not true. The healthiest couples do not co-sleep. Be romantic. Go your separate ways. Yeah. Mm. Because the same type of sleeper never marries each other. There's always one person who snores. One person who doesn't, one person who kicks, one person who doesn't, yeah. one person who's a night owl, one person who's a morning person. Yep. You don't ever end up with the person who has similar sleep as you. Right. And when I can't sleep, I always just go to the other room because... Why don't you just start there? Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I that's that's the story I'm telling myself. I was like, well, if I don't start there, then she's going to think I don't love her. No, no, no. So there was a huge study done through the foundation a few years ago asking partners, you know, tell me about your sleeping situation. And 25% of people said that they don't sleep with their spouse. But every single person who said that asked not to be named. Mm. I mean, I feel like the it's uh, if progress takes a really long time all the time, unfortunately. But it's starting to like, I mean, like this isn't the first time I've heard of people like, I mean, as, unfortunately, it comes with having access to funds sometimes Back, and everything. Right. Yeah. But it was like, I mean, there's like celebrities that are married and they like literally have different houses, but they're like, I have the best relationship. And part of me is like, yeah, no, you get alone time, you get great sleep, and then you get to have like the hangout times when you want it. I'm like, sounds great. I know. They really did figure out the unlock. It's really funny because I'm thinking about my in-laws again in this and it's maybe a little overshare, but it's like they, they, I've watched them progressively go through this sleep, like not be able to sleep. And they've done things like, They've gotten a bed that like one side elevates, the other side doesn't. They've cut their covers in half and had them re-sewn so that as one gets colder, one sleeps cold, one sleeps hot. And it's interesting to think that they could just sleep in, one sleeps in one room, one sleeps in the other and across the hall. Yeah, but for a lot of people, especially with that generation, there is a safety factor that comes into play. A lot of the women are like, you know, I I feel safer with my husband by my side or even just the... Most humans, we do wake up throughout the night. We have about five what's called spontaneous arousals. We wake Uh up for, quote unquote, no reason. Uh And that's a very instinctual defense mechanism. That's your most vulnerable time, obviously. You you know, we want to be aware of our surroundings still. It's the same reason that we feel like we need a fan at night. People who sleep in dead silence, you're like, is that a sociopath? Well, kind of dead silence. I grew up as a sociopath and then I met somebody that had a sound machine on the hot. Now I don't go back. I can't go back. Yes, that's because absolute silence is... A, a threat. It's when, you know, the crickets in the forest would stop chirping. It's because there was a predator. Dead silence can mean danger. So is this why I sleep better with my dogs in the room? Potentially, yeah. Mm. A lot of us really do have that vulnerable feeling. And I mean, of course, historically, this is when people would raid and kill tribes. Yeah. And you know, if right. you're sleeping, you know, good luck. But however it is you feel safe at night, it varies between households. So yeah, again, a lot of times with that generation, we're like, yeah, we're sleeping together. That's it. You know, yeah. Or we'll perish, but yeah, that's coming. <laughs> All right. So this has just been so fascinating, Sarah. Like, holy cow. I'm just like, there's so much. I've just, my lot, literally the last part, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Is there, if there was one thing that our audience could do, what would it be? Uh, just care. 
just know it's not cool to be fatigued. Nobody's walking around saying, oh, we only got four hours of sleep anymore. Like we're just, we're moving forward. So if you are fatigued all the time, we have answers. We have solutions. You don't have to suffer. Just kind of pay attention. Another is to just try, you know, like literally just try to do better. You know, when you're scrolling on Instagram at 1030 that you should go to sleep. Yeah. Try it. Try to go to sleep. Yeah. Because it'll be midnight in like no time. Yeah. I put, I've, I have all my social media. I have a timer. And once that it's up during the day, it's gone. Perfect. I sometimes well, I can rechange those settings <laughs> if I'm being honest, but a lot of times it's because I'm trying to do like work. I'm actually like trying to push out the content. So just consuming it and everything with that. I'm like, all right, I got to get this over with. But yeah, how can people find you? This is just like so much information. I think that's great is that you are somebody that took something that you love so much and then turned it into a business. So like, it's not that we have to like go fine, go to the clinic and then, you know, help all of these things. Like, how can people work with you? Well, my website is sleephs.com. My company is Sleep Health Specialists. And you can find me on Instagram. It's Sarah Sleeps, S-A-R-E-H-S-L-E-E-P-Z-Z-Z. Uh, I like to push out fun sleep content there. Uh, it's really <laughs> interesting to have people reply on my stories and be like, oh, that's me, or hand raised every day. Uh, so it's just nice, relatable, humorous content because we all struggle with our sleep. That's amazing. Yeah. I know. This was so fun. Yeah. You, you're you like our first expert. You're like an entrepreneur and an expert. I'm going to try to make some sort of weird, wordy thing for that in the future. But yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah. It's been like super eye-opening. Oh, nice choice of words. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or eye-closing. I know. There's like a probably whole list of puns that you get all the time. And you're like, oh yeah, I've gotten that one before y'all. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it as enlightening as we did. I just don't even know, Andrew. I think I'm just going to go through my life no really thinking about my sleep like and just how important it is. Yeah, even that, that little half hour that you're trying to give yourself before bed where you're like, I'm going to just push it a little further. Just go to bed. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the naps thing. Like, I totally was like, I was very much so astonished. Like, I can't nap person before today's episode. And now I'm like, I think we're going to try. Like, we're going to give it a go. It's totally connected to just you being sleep deprived. Yes, I know. I, I totally thought because I like prioritized getting sleep, but I, it makes 100% sense from having the two kids that very much so like, yes, my hormones and everything in my body is just wrecked for the my entire life. So I should probably be getting a nap. Yeah, so, yeah. definitely. So if you found today's episode um, as informational as we did, or um, please send it to a friend. That is the best way for our podcast to grow. I also have some key performance indicators around it. So I need you all to push it out there. Just send it. It literally takes you like 10 seconds to share our podcast and it means literally the world to us. And it is growing. We love that. Yes. Also, if you liked having kind of this mind little, like not mind meld, but this like meld of like expert and entrepreneur on the podcast, do let us know. We found it super valuable, but we would love to hear from you. You can reach us on social media, or you can also send us an email at hello at the okspod.com. And if you have suggestions for people we should interview, go ahead and send them our way as well. Yeah, we're booking for next year. So, so exciting. We have next year. Ooh, we're doing it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.